the psalm we read to you this morning, <clears throat> we read several passages that relate to the providence of God, who covereth the heaven with clouds, who prepareth the rain for the earth, who maketh grass to grow upon the mountains. He giveth to the beast his food, to the young ravens which cry. He giveth snow like wool, he scattereth the hoarfrost like ashes. He casteth forth his rice like mosses, who can stand before his cold. He sendeth out his word and melteth them. He causeth his wind to blow and the waters flow. And then at the end, he showeth his word unto Jacob and his judgment, statute and judgment unto Israel. He hath not dealt so with any nation. And as for his judgment, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. Uh, these and many other passages in Holy Writ are the basis of the instruction of the Catechism in Lord's Day 10. Uh, what dost thou mean by the providence of God? The Almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand he upholds and governs heaven and earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and bearing years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, and all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What advantage is it to us to know that God hath created and by his providence doth still uphold all things? That we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. This, beloved, I always think is one of the most beautiful and comforting Lord's days of the entire Heidelberg Catechism. Let's pay attention to some of those expressions. Realize them. You know, this is very beautiful. All things come not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. All things. Prosperity, adversity, rain and sunshine, drought, barren years, as well as fruitful, sickness, health, 
life and death. They come to us, beloved, to us, because Father's hand touches us. That's beautiful. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. And afterward, receive me in glory. That, beloved, is the gospel of God's providence. Is the gospel. Not God upholds all things. We're not interested in that, really. Not God governs all things. We're not interested in that either. Any philosophy can teach that and can believe it. But as the Catechism has it in the preceding Lord's Day, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Father, in Him, who loves us with an everlasting love. With an everlasting mercy. He. He is the one. That uh, causes the winds to blow. The sun to shine. The rain to fall. The storms to devastate a land. Earthquakes to upset all things. He is the one, beloved, that holds everything in his hand, the catechism says. That's beautiful. The hand of our Heavenly Father. That's the thing. That's what we must have. That's gospel. He is the one, beloved, that uh, holds in his hand uh, those uh, teeny weeny little wild beasts. Every one of them uh, that we call uh, germs that crawl into our body and cause TB or cancer or anything else. So that when you become sick, you must not say, oh, I have cancer, I have TB, I have trouble. No. You must say, beloved, the hand of my father touches me in that cancer, in that to be. That's the catechism here. That's the beauty. That's the comfort of uh, this doctrine that is called the doctrine of God's providence. Not a very nice term, providence. I don't like that term, but it is there. We better keep it. Listen. 
that in all things that may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, the Father. So that nothing shall separate us from his love. Now, beloved, usually we take that in a very general and abstract way, but this morning I'd like to have you take that very concretely. Uh, when your heavenly Father sends you cancer, TB, kidney trouble, whatever it is, death, death. And then your heavenly Father touches you. Your heavenly Father kills you. Why? Because he hates you? No. Because he loves you. Because he wants to lead you to glory. That's all. Nothing else. He hath not dealt so with any nation. So he dealt only with his elect. That's also wonderful. He hath not dealt so with any nation. That is, of course, any nation could see its snow. Any nation could see the rain. Any nation could see the sunshine. Any nation can speak of prosperity and adversity. But he hath not dealt so, so that you must confess that he snows, he rains. He casteth down his ice like mosses. He blows. He sends the germs. He sends all sickness and all things. For your salvation. That's, uh, that only you can say, beloved. He hath not doubt so within a nation. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, that's the practical side of my sermon. That's really all of it, beloved. I could go home now. But I want to say a few things more about this question of God's providence. And I better do that in order and when I speak of the providence of God, I, follow, I better follow the Heidelberg Catechism. And first of all, the Catechism tells us what it is. It is the omnipotent, everywhere present power of God. That's providence. That's, that's the essence of it. It tells us, in the second place, what it does. By the providence of God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ upholds and governs all things. That's providence. And thirdly, it tells us what it means. Means for our life, uh, that we feel that, he, in God, that we are in God's hand, uh, that we are uh, thankful in prosperity and patient in adversity and so on and so forth. Well, let me briefly explain these things to you. Uh, providence is not, of course, a very nice word. It isn't biblical either. The term providence, the word providence, doesn't even occur in the Bible. 
I think it occurs once in the book of Acts, but in an altogether different sense. It doesn't mean what we mean by providence. And besides, it isn't, uh, it isn't really a very good translation of the original either in English. So we may well say, beloved, that the term providence, the word providence, is not biblical. It is a word uh, that is dogmatic. That's all right. We can use dogmatical terms. But a providence isn't such a very nice word either because it really means to foresee. Providence. To foresee, to see beforehand. And then to provide. Well, God doesn't do things that way. God does not foresee, and then when he sees what's necessary, provide. Oh, no. God causes all things. All things. Beforehand. Eternally. But apart from that, let us let it go. As long as we only understand what uh, providence really is. And then, as I said, it is, according to the Catechism, the everywhere present power of God. Uh, by that, by that expression, uh, the Catechism stands against uh, two kinds of philosophy about God. On the one hand, there is the well-known philosophy of pantheism. Pantheism cannot believe in the providence of God because, according to pantheism, everything is God. And God is everything. The world is God. And that means, of course, that the world exists by itself. And that the world exists by itself. God is not outside of the world so that he controls it. God is only in the world, or rather God is the world. That's pantheism. All godism. Pantheism. Uh, but that is not scripture, beloved. That's not the word of God, as I read here in Psalm 40, 147, and as is very plain from our scripture. From Scripture, it is very plain that God is absolutely distinct from the world. In a strange term, in theology, in a dogmatics, that is called God's transcendence. I don't like that term either. That's also philosophical. The Bible doesn't say that. By transcendence, beloved, is meant that God is not only in the world, but that is also far above the world. And that's all right. But there's a danger, too, that we think that here is the world and God is in the world and uh, outside of the world uh, God extends uh, in space. That's not true. No, 
It's all right to say that God is transcendent above the world, if we mean by that, that God is entirely different from the world, that God is entirely different from any creature, because he is infinite in all his virtues, but the creature is finite. He is eternal, whatever that means, but it means at any rate that God is not limited by time. He is self-existent, that is, independent. He is not dependent upon any creature. The creature is dependent in everything. God is self-existent. He is the I am, the eternal Jehovah, who has the ground and the reason of his being in himself. In that respect, beloved, God is transcendent. He is different, as a certain Swiss theologian likes to say it, and I like that too. God is the holy other. The holy other. That's true. But that's not all. Uh, when we first say that God is transcendent and that he is different and that he is the holy other, we must also add that we don't have God's providence yet, what's called God's providence, then we must also add, beloved, that God is not only transcendent but also imminent. Immanent. That he is, as the Catechism has it, everywhere present. It is, is everywhere present power that the Catechism calls proverb. What does that mean? Let's try to get a little conception of that. that. That's very important for the true conception of providence, beloved. What does it mean when we say that God is everywhere present? I'm afraid that uh, when we say that and when we use uh, that term, we are inclined to think of space. God is everywhere in space. Is he here in Grand Rapids, in Michigan, in America, in all the world, in all the earth? Still more, he's in the heavens, he is on the stars, on the sun, on the moon, he's everywhere. But that's not the idea. That's not the idea of omnipresence, beloved. When, when you uh, talk about omnipresence, Oh, I would almost say you better forget space. 
Better forget it. It means, beloved, that the being of God, the infinite, the eternal being of God, without death, or rather, infinitely deep, that being of God, the whole being, the whole being, not part of the being, it's not so that part of God's being is in Grand Rapids and part of the being is in New York and so on and so forth. Part of the being is on the sun and part of the being is here. No, 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 no. The whole being of God touches every single creature the whole being of God touches the being of every single creature according to its nature. That's problem. That's, uh, that's omnipresent power. You cannot separate the being of God from his power, of course not. So, the being of every creature touches the whole infinite being of God. That's on the press. So, that say the whole being of God, whole being of God, is in the infinitesimally small germ of tuberculosis. One germ. The whole being of God, the power, the omnipotent power, the omnipotent present power of God which is deep, 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 deep fathomlessly deep touches, touches that little germ and causes that little germ to exist the whole being of God that's according to the nature of the germ but at the same way the whole being of God is in the lily of the valley. The lily, the being of the lily, touches and rests upon the being of God. And because that being of God is the ground of the lily, therefore the lily continues to exist. The whole being of God touches the lion, the sheep, the cow, the beast of the field, the sun, the moon, the star, everywhere that whole being of God is. And where the being of God is, there is the almighty power and that almighty power of the being of God causes every single creature to exist according to its nature. That's also true of man. The whole being of God touches my body, touches every part of my body, touches my eye, my ear, my nose, my legs, my hands, my arms. The whole being of God touches my soul, my intellect, my will, my mind, 
And because that whole being of God, that almighty being of God, with its almighty power, touches me, is the ground of my being. Therefore, I am and continue to be. Understand, beloved, beloved? That's beautiful. The hand of God, says the Herbert Carragher. The hand of God touches everything. That's why it is. They're beautiful. Of holes And upholds everything according to its nature. You can also say this, beloved. That's also biblical. Literally biblical. God causes all things to continue to be by his word. He upholds all things by the word of his power. The word is his power, and his power is his word, of course. But, when you say that God continues all things by the word of his power, it means, beloved, that the word which God spoke at the beginning in creation, he must continue to speak in order that the creation may continue to exist. When God once said light, that was one of his words, when God once said light, that's the creative word. It cannot stop. He must continue to say light. He does that. Light is a word of God which God continues to speak. When God once said tree, oak, maple, God must continue to say oak, maple. Otherwise the maple doesn't exist. That's the difference between creation and providence. Creation is the calling of the things that are not as they were. Providence is the calling of the things that already are, by which God causes them to continue to be. That's also the case with us. And not only that, beloved, But the catechism says the providence of God consists in the fact that by his almighty power uh, God upholds all things, but also in this, that God governs all things. Also that is beautiful. That's, that's also in this 147th Psalm, beloved. You know, there's no end to this. I must hurry, of course. It's almost time pretty soon. But there's no end to this. There's no end to the work and wisdom and power of God in relation to creation. No end to it. You could talk all day about it. But, beloved, let's briefly... Say this, the government of God means two things in relation to creation. In the first place, uh, that creation is a living creation, not dead. Everything moves. That's one thing. Everything moves. There's nothing wrong creation that doesn't move. Don't you see? Even if we could, if we could see, say, a cannonball. In that cannonball, everything moves. Everything. In a drop of water, everything moves. Just like the sun and the moon and the stars. So everything moves in a drop of water. 
Everything moves even in the grain of sand. And so, of course, uh, we can distinguish between movement and life. The brute creations, the sand, the steel, uh, the dead inanimate objects, and there's the living creation, plants, animals, man. Everything moves. Nothing ever stands still. Nothing. And what moves it? Beloved, God. God. God by his hand moves the molecules in the brute creation. He moves. As he moves the stars and the planets and the moon and the sun. He moves. He moves. He does. As I said in my introduction, you must not really say, oh, we do it anyway, of course, but uh, think differently anyway. Think differently. Our language is such, beloved, uh, that our language itself is ungodly. Our language itself is ungodly. We learn, we learn language in the school, of course, in grammar. And oh, in grammar, that little word, it, is so handy. It, 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 it. There's no it. There's no it. We say, it rains. It thunders. It lightens. It snows. It freezes. Ah, beloved, that's not true. Of course, you say it, and I say it too. I, I, can't, I can't help it. But at any rate, at any rate, when you say it, don't think it anymore. God rains. God snows. God freezes. God blows the wind. God, God lightnings. God thunders. That's the Bible. That's God. God. Oh, how much richer our life would be if in all the works of God we could see that and forget that it. Don't you think? That beautiful. We don't want to be in the hand of fate. We don't want to be in the hand of chance. We don't want to be in the hand of rain or sunshine. We want to be in the hand of God, beloved. Don't you see? We want to be in the hand of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who loves us in all things. That's what we want. Then we become rich. Then we become rich. A life and a death in all things. In the hand of our Heavenly Father. Well, that's true of that uh, one movement. God moves in all the moving and living creation, every creature by his hand. But there's another movement. That first movement is secular. It goes around and around and around. But there's another movement. And that other movement is in time. In time. There's a movement of creation from the beginning to the end. That's also movement, beloved. Movement. The whole creation moves. Whither? Whither? To what end? To what goal? 
it moves, beloved, to the goal which God has set in his counsel. That goal is the glory, the inexpressible glory of his name revealed in Jesus Christ. And therefore, the goal is the eternal kingdom of God, the eternal tabernacle of God with men, in which we shall forever be glorified to the utmost, so that we shall see God and know him as he is, and dwell in his everlasting tabernacle, imperfection. From the beginning to that end, everything moves. Moves from creation. Moves through sin. Through sin. Through the curse through death, moves through Christ, through the incarnation, through the cross, through the resurrection, through the exaltation of Christ at the right hand of God through the gift of the Holy Spirit, put out into the church, through the final catastrophe, when the very elements shall burn, and all things shall be destroyed as to its form, in order that through the fire of that final catastrophe of creation, the new heavens and the new earth may appear in glory. That, beloved, is the government of God, of which we, the people of God, say, he hath not dealt so with any nation. And as to his judgments, they have not known them. Hallelujah. Oh, there are things I could explain yet, but I think I better let them go. Because there are all kinds of problems. Connection with providence. But I don't want to spoil it. I can spoil that very easily, you know, by bringing up all kinds of problems. You better have them at your society sometime. They, they are like to, they are like to philosophize about problems in society, don't you? All kinds of questions. That's all right. It's all right. But I don't like to spoil that with, uh, in my sermon. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. The problems I refer to as cause, how can man be responsible? How can man be free if God has everything? All right. Let, him, let it go, beloved. Let those that don't want this philosophize about that. All right. I don't care. But this is the gospel. This is the gospel. By his hand, he controls everything. 
I'll show you and me. I'll show you mine and you will. Oh, yeah, no question about that. It would terrible if it wasn't. But the gospel. Let's say it. I have no time, and I can explain it. You can trust me, I can explain it, but I, want, I don't want to now. Uh, God is the author of sin, all those things. Uh, uh, Providence is too, God is the author of sin. And so forth. Uh, uh, what's the use to pray? All those stuff, all that stuff uh, is objected to uh, against my gospel that I preached this morning, beloved. But you must have that. You must have that. You must believe. Believe. Believe what? That he has not doubt so with any nation. That he controls and governs the whole world for your sake. Devils and angels, principalities and powers, wicked men are righteous men. Earth and heaven. He governs the whole thing for your sake. That's God. Let the rest go to the dogs. I don't care. Oh, beloved, that is practical. Practical because the catechism says, then we are so in his hand that nothing can ever be tied against his will. That, that's nothing, isn't it? In that powerful hand, that almighty hand that touches us, in the almighty hand of our Father, in Jesus Christ, who so loved us that he revealed us love in the cross of his only begotten Son. Look at the cross. Look at it. Say, looking at the cross, that God that so revealed himself in that cross of his Son, is my father. He holds me in his hand. Want anything else? That's sufficient. That's plenty. You don't need anything else, beloved. That's that's the gospel. Beautiful. And then, of course, the catechism says. And that follows, of course. And then we are thankful in prosperity, patient in adversity. I don't know. I don't know what's more difficult. I, I mean now uh, for the child of God from the, uh, the point of view of his, uh, of his spiritual life. It's easy enough. But we are still sinful. You know, uh, you and I, I too... I am not as bold and as uh, full of faith as I tried to preach this morning. Oh, don't you ever believe it. I preach in the Word of God, not myself. Oh, no. If you say to me, Oh, Domini, uh, I'm not there. I'm not there. I don't always trust that way. I say to you, uh, neither do I. Oh, no, neither do I ever trust in God that way. Oh, no, my sinful nature is there, beloved. But you must, you, 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 the word of God must direct itself to you, to, not to, to your sinful nature, but to your regenerated heart and mind. That, that small principle in you, that's what I'm preaching to. And then I say... Because of our sinful nature, I sometimes wonder whether it's no more difficult to be thankful in prosperity than uh, to be patient in adversity. I don't know about that. Both is rather difficult. It's impossible for our sinful nature, but against our sinful nature is always a strive. It may look as if we uh, much easier are thankful in prosperity but then you better examine yourself and see whether in prosperity you are not really thankful for things instead of for God. Oh, 
the way is sometimes smooth, sometimes not very often. We lie in the midst of death, don't worry about that. Uh, the way is not often smooth, beloved. And the way is never entirely smooth, it's always relatively smooth. Oh, yeah. We must, we must die. We must die. To keep, keep that in mind, that's all right. Nothing wrong with that. Not for the child of God. But when the way is so smooth, I sometimes wonder when we have plenty to eat and to drink and when there is no cloud in the sky, I sometimes wonder whether we are thankful because of those things or whether we are thankful because of God. Better examine yourself. I wonder sometimes whether it's more difficult to be thankful in prosperity than to be patient in adversity. Patience in adversity is that God gives us strength to bear. God gives us strength to bear the suffering of this present time. Uh, that is true. That certainly is true. From that point of view, I think it's much more easy to be patient in adversity uh, than to be thankful in prosperity. Oh, God makes us small. God makes us through, through suffering. God makes us dependent, feel, makes us feel dependent. And then, then, when we are weak, then he gives us strength. My, my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for thee. Well, beloved, I must quit. You have heard the gospel, the whole gospel. The gospel as it is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord as the Father of our Father in heaven. The gospel as it is revealed in all things in this world until the goal is reached. The eternal tabernacle of God with men. God bless it to you and bless you through it. Amen. We thank Thee, O Lord, for Thy gospel, for Thy glorious truth. Forgive our sins. Let Thy word dwell in us. Cause us to grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the knowledge of Thee, our Father in heaven, forevermore. Amen.